Okay, there's one other thing. There's one thing I wanted to mention to y'all before we get started. Uh, that so I was listening to our podcast today at my desk um, with my headphones in, and then we went out to lunch, and I drove. So we got in the car, and my phone was paired via Bluetooth <laughs> to my speakers, and so I'm driving the people I work with, and the podcast starts playing. And thankfully, it's not my voice; it's Ethan's. But I was like, "Oh, that's just a podcast." I go to change it, and they're like, "No, no, no! What podcast is that?" And I was like. And then I look at my phone and see that it's just like a random file. And I was like, all right, fine. It's a podcast that me and my friends are trying to make. And everyone was like, oh, this is great. Let's listen to it. And I was like, no, we're not listening to it. And then tonight at dinner, like the partner had us all go around and say what we like to do outside of work. And it got to me and someone goes, well, he's making a podcast. And then everyone was like, oh, and I was like, no, stop. Like, it was, it was awful. I hated that so so much. We should share that on the podcast. I think we will. <laughs> no, I'm not making a podcast. Right, well, we, we have that recorded, luckily, yeah. so we'll definitely go back. <laughs> okay, to that. That'll cool. be the intro. That'll Perfect. be the intro. Hi, everyone. Welcome to the Syntax Podcast. This is Ethan. I'm Fernando. And I'm Matt. Uh, so hi there, Matt and Fernando. Let's talk a little bit about democracy. In the last few hundred years, almost all of the developed world has converged on it in one form or another. But at the same time, we've heard many critiques of democracy, uh, especially in the recent political climate. But you know, we hate nuance here. So Matt, is democracy good or bad? Just give me a one word answer. Well, Ethan, I'll, I'll say this. So, so my faith in democracy has been restored since Doug Jones won the Alabama special Senate election last night. So I'm, I'm all for democracy uh, right now uh, as we're recording this podcast. But I will say my, uh, my good friend Winston Churchill said democracy is the worst form of government except for all the others. So I'd say democracy might just be our best option among a lot of bad options. Yeah, so far that seems to be the case. But here on Syntag, we're going to think outside of the box a little bit. We have a personal friend of Winston Churchill and Matt here, so we've got some smart people. And we're going to do a series on alternative forms of government, maybe stuff that hasn't really been tried in any practical sense. And we're going to see if any of these are realistic options. Ethan, I think uh, you've been looking at one in particular. Do you want to talk about what you've been researching? Sure. So we're going to talk today about a form of government called futarchy. And, uh, and futarchy was invented by this professor at Georgetown. His name, or excuse me, not Georgetown, George Mason. His name is Robin Hanson. Uh, Robin Hanson is an economist and holds some, uh, some strong views about the way we should be handling uh, macro decisions in the world. So... The summary of Futarchy, in one sentence, is vote values, but bet beliefs. Yeah. To explain that a little bit, Robin means that we want to vote for politicians who will select the value system that we judge success by. So that means that if I'm someone who really cares about economic development over all else, I would elect politicians who also feel that way. And the politicians, when they get together, just as they do now in the Senate, would vote on important issues. But instead of those issues being laws, those issues would be target metrics for how to improve the government. And my politicians, the ones that I voted for, would be voting 
for things for for GDP. Um, they would vote to make GDP the primary way we represent success. And why does success as a metric matter? Um, because we are going to choose policies based on how much the people expect them to influence that metric positively. So I think I think this is all very complicated and abstract. Yeah. So. But let's 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 back oh, up for one going. second and address that first question about what exactly is wrong with democracy. I think this is something that a lot of people understand intuitively. It's imperfect, but if we can pinpoint some of the specific flaws or shortcomings, we can more readily see why Futarchy is a more streamlined alternative. Futarchy, for Futarchy, Futarchy. my apologies. We, uh, we learned before this podcast that the word Futarchy or Futarchy or Futarchy is in fact not pronounced the way any of us expected. So listeners, you'll have to give us a break on this one. Yeah, well, uh, Fernando, I think I think that's a pretty good question, and I think probably central to this point is that uh, democracy's biggest strength in that everyone gets uh, an equal vote is probably its biggest weakness. Uh, voter apathy is large because it's hard to see how your individual votes make a difference in such a large landscape. Um, it's difficult in that you know some people are experts in a field, uh, but everyone has an equal vote. Um, in that regard, democracy is also slow moving at times. You know, it historically, a government's headed by a single figure able to move much quicker, much more decisively than a democracy. Um, democracies are geared towards uh, needing bureaucracies, which are also notoriously slow and inefficient. So I think there are a lot of trade offs that go into the benefits of democracy. Right. So, and Ethan was talking about the betting markets that will determine what policies we choose. What exactly does that mean, Ethan, and how will that address the issues of slow-moving and inefficient decision-making, as well as the lack of expert opinion, or the fact that experts have just as small a voice as anyone else in democracy? Sure. So, uh, to look at it in a macro view, democracy is a situation where everyone's voice matters equally, but because there are so many voices, there isn't really a lot to lose for someone who's wrong. Um, so you look at political pundits. Political pundits have a very poor track record of predicting things correctly, or even of correctly predicting how a certain policy will influence society. Uh, and the reason is that they don't really have a stake, because they have much to gain by being right, and little to lose because their, their thoughts are forgotten about. So Hansen postulates that the, uh, the best prediction system we have is market economies. So while the market, um, the stock market, is not a perfect predictor for the success a company will have, it is the best predictor. So if really our best option to predict things is to use a market, then we should center a government around a betting market about the success of policies. And in his paper, Hansen talks about some interesting, like seemingly trivial but interesting examples that uh, at a racetrack, the betting odds are the most accurate predictor, even more so than the horse, quote-unquote, horse experts, or that the Vegas line is the best predictor of a presidential election rather than, you know, political calmness and things like that. So that kind of illustrates the accuracy or relative accuracy of a betting market in more trivial things. What would it look like in a government? 
Well, let me uh, let me throw out some some quotes that I stole from um, from Hanson's own piece. So one thing that he says about uh, markets is that uh, while in democracy there's these struggles, and, and here begins the quote, those who know that they are not relevant experts shut up, end quote. And that, that's what he's saying about markets. Because when you have money on the line, when you bet, you're only placing that money on the line if you have real information about the best uh, outcome, or you have some information that other people don't have, right? Uh, so how does that look in a government? We would have a betting market for every proposed policy. Uh, so on every proposed policy, we would offer people the chance to buy uh, it being a success or buy it being a failure. And then we would track the prices of these things and see which one was more valuable to decide whether or not to embark upon the policy. Does that does that sound uh, about the way you absorbed it, Matt? Yeah, I I think so. Um, it it definitely allows experts to have a skin in the game and people who deem themselves as experts to have something on the line, so that when they voice opinions, you mentioned political pundits, that the accuracy of what they're saying matters rather than just how people react to them or the attention they give. And so by betting money. Um, it allows them to have direct feedback in uh, for the opinions that they hold from a policy standpoint. Um, and humans in general are very good when we have immediate and direct feedback in regards to uh, how we learn and how we interact. And so I think it it, it my understanding is is that by creating uh, by creating a prediction market around around policy, it would also allow us to separate things that. Uh, things that don't require a level of expertise. I think values is something that uh, is much more of a, a human right than we would say a policy expertise is. So we definitely want to value the economist's perspective on how we're going to target GDP growth. But when we're putting social values and we're, we're voting on those, we definitely want people to have an equal say. So it allows us to separate the things that require a level of uh, you know, esoteric knowledge and expertise from the things that we all really need to be deciding on the future of our country, whether that is uh, women's rights, whether that is, um, you know, even how we address, uh, you know, immigrants. And there is some kind of blurred lines here, but I, but I think that that separation uh, is key in allowing prediction markets to be successful. Yeah, so there's the idea that anyone could participate in this betting market, anyone could, you know, quote unquote, put their money on the line. But because there's risk, only people with relatively good inf and complete information will actually be driving the prices that in turn drive the policy decisions. Is that a, am I grasping this correctly? Yeah, I, I think so. And I, it's one of those things that um, obviously in the short run, that might not be the case in every individual decision, right? People make poor market decisions all the time. But in the long run, people who historically make poor market decisions lose money and they lose confidence in the opinions they're throwing out there. So in the long run, in a kind of market like this, uh, it rewards people who make accurate and truthful uh, and, uh, and knowledgeable policy choices and uh, takes away from people who don't necessarily know what they're talking about. So it it is kind of uh, a pretty good equalizer and it's definitely in a, in a macro sense will definitely hold true to what you're saying. Um, does that does that make sense, Ethan? It, from from a from kind of a macro standpoint, or do you think there are kind of big risks even from 
uh, from looking at from like a holistic point of view as to whether these markets will be efficient? Well, I think the efficiency of the market, um, well, th this maybe will come off as a bit rash, but I, I want to start with this. I think the efficiency of a market is kind of beyond reproach compared to other institutions we have in society, right? Like we, we understand that the markets will capture as accurately as anything um, what we expect to happen as a society. And we may not as a society know the answer to questions, but it's probably the best answer we can get to, uh, if that makes any sense. Now, one thing I, I'd like to talk about a little bit further that I thought was interesting is exactly the way we get to what values are going to matter. So um, I, I'm sorry if we mentioned this a little bit earlier, but I think it bears expounding upon. We need to decide on success metrics, right? So if we're going to have a betting market for whether a policy succeeds or not, we need to set a target because judging the success needs to be against some baseline. Um, and how to decide what that target is could potentially be extremely contentious because the targets are not really the same for everyone. So I, I mentioned at the very beginning upon introducing this that maybe my target is GDP. But what Matt said is that people's values are different, right? Like, should we be optimizing for women's rights or for, um, for a particular way of uh, bringing immigrants into society or not doing so? And these are values, right? In order to um, decide upon the values, we would democratically elect politicians who vote on those values for us as our proxy. So we take the power of policy away from politicians and give them instead the power of targets for policy. Right, so I think there's two kind of separate things here. When, for one, when you discuss GDP and economic growth, that's kind of a pretty tangible, measurable metric. And when you start talking about human rights, equality, immigration, it's much harder to quantify exactly what we're going for. So I would say there are two things that need to be looked at. One is, what is the target? And in your example, I'd say it's economic growth or quality of life. And then the second question is, what is the metric? And we're making the, or maybe the politicians are making the de decision that GDP is a good enough metric to approximate economic growth or quality of life. Right, so that's a very good point. So let's talk about an example like human rights or or gender equal opportunities for men and women. Okay, that could be the target. Everyone has equal opportunities and everyone's protected equally. What is the metric? Yeah, that's a it's a very interesting problem that's come up a lot. Uh, I know Freakonomics has actually done a podcast episode about the struggles of comparing uh, men's and women's pay. So traditionally, as I understand it, um, men's and women's pay is adjusted by hour uh, on average for the same career to see if they're making the same thing. Um, but Freakonomics has made some points that the job selection, even within a general career of men versus women, is different. And it's possible that these are preferences that have nothing to do with where they're being um, forcibly placed, right? So it's very hard to know if the current metric, and I don't know what the number is, but the oft-quoted number of like certain cents on the dollar that women make, it's hard to know what, what percentage of that is fully um, 
societally forced, right? And so is that a good metric? This is where it comes back. Like, is that number going to be a good metric for whether women's rights are equal? And a lot of people would say yes, and a lot of people would say no. So it, it's a struggle. So that, that's kind of an interesting point. And, and one question I have in, in about this is how much uh, does the accuracy of a metric like that matter? So Ethan, you're, you're bringing up uh, a metric that, that's used, and I, I've heard anywhere from 77 cents to 93 cents, depending on how different data is interpreted. Uh, but it's bringing up a concept of you could be introducing adverse incentives here, where even if you had 100 cents uh, on the dollar between women and men, that might not reflect all of society and might reflect just a change geared directly to that one metric. But in the context of Futarchy, um, how much and how relevant is that single metric? So if, for example, the goal is um, gender equality in the workplace, um, could you use a vague goal like that to still establish policies? Uh, because intuitively we know, hey, we, we know kind of what um, that kind of equality might look like, but it, we struggle to find those metrics to track it. So is that something that would be even possible to have vague goals or do you need these concrete metrics in all situations? I don't know. So a vague goal the betting market depends on having some level of concrete metric that people can say, I'm betting that this proposition will move us towards or away from this, this idea. And for as long as there's room for interpretation, there's, you can't, I think you can't count as much on the efficiency of the betting market because everyone's betting yeah. towards a different end state that they however they're interpreting the vague goal well and more importantly you can't have accountability for it so i think really you would you would see very little action in the betting market at all if people weren't confident that the objective measurement was weren't objective so i, I agree with you fernando but I, matt what i was understanding that you were saying was more along the lines of while this metric isn't a perfect approximation of our value, so in this case, our value is um, women having equal employment opportunities, and our metric is uh, the standard measurement of cents on the dollar that women make to men. Even though that isn't a perfect proxy, it is a good enough proxy that maximizing it will also maximize our value goal. Is that is that what you meant? Yeah, I, I think... That's, that's kind of the question is whether we would use an imperfect metric that uh, would correlate well with a concept that's hard to nail down or whether you could actually use uh, a concept. And I think there's definitely an advantage from a market standpoint towards having hard numbers that you could account for. Uh, but at the same time, I wonder how much it could be validated by sense of I think we could – well – yeah, I'm thinking about this a little bit more now. Uh, so I, you know, I, how much of a risk do you think it is to uh, introduce imperfect or adverse incentives into this? I think quite high. Um, so that's, um, I, I took a, a finance class in my MBA and the teacher hammered home, just really hammered home the idea that as soon as you incentivize um, executives, they will 
they will perform to the incentives almost every time, but you will get really weird things happening. So uh, some of them that are like really obvious is maybe you incentivize your CEO based on company revenue. Well, suddenly the CEO's incentives are to produce more product. Let's say you produce a good, produce more product, even though that drives up costs more than it drives up revenue. So maybe you're actually losing profit because of this, but he is, or she is, uh, is incentivized on revenue only. So he or she is no longer maximizing the company's outcome. So the way that's analogous to society is what if we define a metric like revenue? I, I don't know what it would be exactly in this case where maximizing the metric beyond a certain point actually drives down societal welfare. And I, I think that's actually a pretty large risk. I agree this is a pretty valid risk, and this is not to discount that, but this already happens in our current form of government. And I'm thinking of education, where some people have decided that there are certain test scores that we should use as a benchmark for the performance of schools and allocating money and things like that. And there are very like society is currently struggling with very real consequences of that, teaching to the test, neglecting certain fields of study, and things of that nature. So real problem, yes, but worse than the current government form of government, not necessarily. Do you guys want to talk a little bit about some of the other criticisms of, uh, of Futarki? So there's an, an article by um, Vitalik... Buterin? Matt, maybe you know. I'd go with Vitalik Buterin, but I wouldn't be 100% sure. (laughs) (laughs) Well, for people who aren't familiar with with, uh, Vitalik, he is the founder of Ethereum, um, one of the largest blockchain currencies. And he has proposed that Futarki could be implemented within Ethereum. Um, So within the monetary system, they could use uh, Futarki. And, And because of that, he has a blog post about the benefits and downsides of Futarki. So one thing that, that Buterin points out is that there's a potential for a large entity, um, you know, a, a 51% attack is what you might call this in blockchain, for a large entity to use its buying power to swing the markets uh, enough to implement its own policy. So uh, to put this in a tangible example, Maybe I am a, a large firm that uh, cuts down trees for lumber and there's a policy suggested that is uh, that we should, uh, I don't know, protect a lot of national land. Well, as an enormous company, I have the funds to buy a lot of bets on the no side that this will not improve societal welfare. And in doing so, I help myself more than the money that I have to spend on it, even if I actually lose my bet. So do you guys think that's a compelling problem? Yes, this is something that had occurred to me when I initially read it. There are groups with special interest, as you say. And it seems to me that there'd be a danger of similar groups banding together in a, in a form of collaboration, which would be even worse than the current society where there's interest for competition. Because several smaller or medium-sized lumber firms might get together support this no bet and they end up being kind of monolith that drives policy and is hard to check. And I think since it is a market, market economy kind of thing, it will be harder to check the power of these special interest groups because all of that, all it is is money as opposed to lobbyists, which do have 
a concerning amount of influence, but there can be some policies and oversight in place to check them. Yeah, I, I think that's an interesting point, Fernando. But I also think that this kind of problem is something uh, that would be addressed in similar ways that our political climate today addresses uh, issues of money. And this is obviously a huge issue, right? Like this is um, a large issue of, of money largely dictating uh, dictating who succeeds politically. I mean, you know, regardless of how you feel about uh, – about multiple presidents from the same family, it's pretty difficult to argue that statistically speaking, everyone started off from the same base level and it just so happened coincidentally that despite the fact that everyone was on an equal footing going up there, that we have you know two Bushes over the last couple of decades. And, and so I think from that perspective, you know we're not trying to make this a perfect system, just as good probably in this regard as others. And so some of the uh, responses that you know Robin Hansen has to something like this is you can put... Uh, a couple of different things. Uh, you'll you can put a cap on on how much you can bet um, into these prediction markets. And and another point he makes is acknowledging this as a counterargument. I think it is true, is that when a lot of people participate in a betting market, one person really does not have much power. Uh, and and one person, even if they unloaded all their money in this one particular thing, uh, they they really can't. Um, they wouldn't have 51% as Ethan was putting it. Uh... Yeah, and again, yeah, that makes and sense. again, part of the, yeah, a really important point, as you say, is that we're not looking for perfection. We're looking for the best possible. And this issue may not be significantly worse than it is in democracy as it is. I mean, as it is, money talks and special interest drives policy all the time. So... What do you guys feel about the idea that we just could never capture values with a good enough metric? So, I mean, we, we talked about the metrics uh, for different values for quite a while, but do you think that if we implemented this system, we could actually capture what we're interested in maximizing? So I, I think that is a really good question. And I wonder if you'd have to just separate those two into things that are easily quantifiable are things that uh, go along with uh, what responsible government looks like. I mean, to your point, GDP is something that we can point to and say, uh, economically, our country succeeds um, uh, based off this measure of GDP. And even GDP has its flaws. I mean, it, it's not a great measure of equality. And I know there's critiques of it's not a great measure of happiness and, and uh, necessarily so. And, but I also think that you could separate out what are those things that have solid metrics. And I think from that perspective, these would be tremendous. And I'm also not so convinced that you couldn't create very vague uh, value systems that we could still vote on from a prediction standpoint for some of these uh, more vague ideas. But even if we didn't go there, um, centering a government around several key metrics that you would have prediction markets for would be super effective. Um, and then having different forms of, of voting or, or things like that to kind of decide um, some things that don't have real clear metrics tied to them. I think you're kind of talking, suggesting a bit of a hybrid model, which may ultimately be the most logical way to incorporate these principles, where not every single government policy is based on a betting market, but like you say, the easily quantifiable ones might be. And I don't think that's unreasonable. It would be completely different from what we have now, or at least the structure constitutionally would be need to be reworked very significantly. But 
I think that would kind of be a best of both worlds combination, or is that uh, is that a pipe dream, Ethan? Well, I don't know. I I think uh, there are actually for anyone who's interested in diving deeper on this topic, there are compelling reasons why, even if this were a theoretically perfect system, it's just not practical to act on. So, uh, one one uh, good case for that is. If you really wanted to vote on every policy that the government would need to enact to be a useful government, so, I mean, governments probably do do thousands of things every day. Um, and if we had to have betting markets on a thousand things, people would stop paying attention to most of them, especially the small ones that didn't affect their own lives. And for markets to work well, you need high liquidity and you need a lot of betting action. Yeah, like, there's a... You can have small numbers and it approximate well, but you need a lot of movement in the market if only a few people are in there. So I don't think that we would ever practically be able to implement this because we couldn't do this for every single policy. And you would need to maybe draw some sort of line that would be arbitrary as to what policies do fall in this. Yeah, then you would have to start. That would be tricky, say the least. I think you would have to make policies that gave free reign to independent, well, not independent, to government agencies to go act on those policies. But then how do you hold the government agencies accountable? Then you need more policies. And all of these things that are traditionally under the purview of like a hierarchical government um, don't seem to proceed so naturally from a true futarchy. And that's why this proposition of the hybrid system seems like the closest we could. Okay, so let's take the hybrid example. Uh, So what if we we put a threshold that any kind of, um, any kind of bill that would require increasing a certain amount of um, money over a certain amount of years would would uh, go to prediction markets to to uh, succeed. So let's take the current tax bill, Ethan. I, I you know I know you've looked into it a little bit, but just the idea of a tax bill that they're voting on now could, as as one individual bill, could prediction markets be accurate at producing a bill that achieves GDP growth while also uh, reducing inequality um, in some in some metric, would would this be an appropriate method to come up with some sort of policy around? I, I say yes. I think a tax bill is actually a great example because a tax bill is a really good example where there are a lot of people with subject matter expertise and a lot of people who don't have subject matter expertise that still talk about it a lot as if they do. So. Betting markets allow us a great mechanism to separate the people who know things from the people who don't. And the people who understand tax policy and economics and history, I would say, is also important here, would very likely be able to sway the market because they would be willing to put their money down on a couple of the best propositions. Also, in theory, with the tax code, there are relatively few people that would propose a tax code. By relatively few, I don't mean four, but there won't be like, 100 million. Not everybody in America is going to put in a tax code because it's complicated. So maybe we only have a thousand to go through. And as long as we have a reasonably efficient way for people to sort through those thousand and start choosing the best options and betting on good ones, then I think this is actually a great case where a betting market would be able to say, okay, we're looking to maximize GDP and equality and uh, I don't know what other metrics would come up, but I'm sure there are some things. Now, let's just bet on which ones are likely to achieve that goal, and the people who understand this the best will bet more, because most of us don't understand it well. And I think a key point that we're kind of diving into specific examples to zoom out what theoretically makes this futarchy 
go well is that the decision makers on policy on tax codes aren't going to be politicians whose background may have very little to do with tax. The ones developing the policy are going to be people with enough knowledge that they're willing to stake their own money. And they wouldn't be politicians at all. Right, exactly. So uh, one area of one area of great concern to me is um, the relatively homogenous background of legislators in the country, right? So, so the vast majority of lawmakers have something in the domain of uh, political science, economics, law. These these fields that, while there's not a nice name to describe them, are all pretty interrelated. But like, how many how many senators have a technology background? And think of how much we legislate about technology <clears throat> and the effect that legislation has on, on the future of technology, which is something that has completely revolutionized the world in the last 80 years. I mean, we have our laws being made by people who have absolutely no understanding of it. And this obviously is a bad system when you stop and think about it, but there's no stake uh, in politicians voicing their opinions about things they don't understand, or regular people for that matter. So I, I think technology is a really good example, too, of something uh, that if we said, okay, we <coughs> have te uh, technology regulation, what would be the most effective technology regulation? That doesn't really have a good metric out there for that. Um, you know, if we're going to sit there and say uh, AI is a huge concern for this country and for this world, which um, I think it is over the next however many years, we need to build regulation around it. That is an abstract goal. Uh, but kind of to my point earlier, I, I still think you could create policy markets around what is effective regulation around this. And it would be much harder to judge. And there would definitely be a nuance in terms of how the markets, uh, how much confidence people have in the markets, different things like that. But from a, is this a more effective regulation? Is this not? I, I definitely think that would be um, an example of a possibility of having these vaguer goals, but goals that people can still agree on and experts still see true value in. I will disagree with you on the ability to have vague goals. I think you look at every betting market in the world and there aren't vague goals because betting markets without clearly defined objective metrics fall down to corruption, fall down to a lot of things, but but if they stand up to the difficulties of judgment, eventually they fall to corruption because if someone has even a slight stake in a subjective measurement, they're able to move it one way or another. So you want to have the, the measurement of your objective as objective as possible. In fact, even GDP is troubling in that respect because so many people are involved in the estimation of GDP. But all that said, mm -hmm. I agree with you. Technology is a prime candidate for this because if you had some way, even some like loose proxy for privacy – and then GDP and personal happiness, I think those are fairly good measures of success in technology. Yeah, I guess you could have a group of technologists uh, define what metrics people would even be voting on beforehand. And, I, and there is a way to, to narrow down uh, and to be more specific in this. Because uh, I guess that's, that's kind of where governments go right anyway, is all governments have vague goals uh, and certain ones fall into corruption because those goals are vague and you can twist and manipulate however want uh, however you want when you're in control to to justify going after these goals so I, that's that's valid you know i think we've actually we've covered a lot about futarki guys uh so to wrap this up let's have just one number one to ten rating Fernando, how good is Futaki? Well, we're going to do an area code, and the first number, I'd say six on the practical level, which is 
we see that there's some elements that could be incorporated. Overall, as a complete system, maybe not too practical. Seven, on the idealism level, it's admitting that market forces were just playing the efficiency and the odds game. But again, good ideas. And I would say like a four on the pizzazz level, you know? I'd love to see something a little more out there or crazy, but this is just kind of very numbers-based, very rational, even if it's not super practical. So, so, to, so can to we, recap, uh, can we the get area those code three metrics? is 674, and that is practicality, idealism, and pizzazz. Okay, so now we know what we will be vote or what we will be rating all the government podcasts on. Um, Matt? You know, I, I think that this straight away, I mean, this just screams, I think, a seven. Right there. Safe, solid. I'm excited about it. Um, I think that, that'd be kind of an overall rating. I mean, pizzazz, uh, I'm going to give it give it like a I'll give it like a six. I think this has kind of that, you know, sexy economist thing to it. And then <laughs> an idealism. <laughs> I'm sorry, I cracked. <laughs> All right, I'm gonna keep going with this. So I'm saying, I, 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 from an idealism standpoint, I'm gonna go with like a nine, and then from a practicality, I'm gonna jump back down to a six. Overall, seven. Uh, so Ethan, take it away. Six nine right, six. So we're looking at practicality. That was that? a six nine six for Matt on nice. practicality, idealism, and pizzazz. Okay, so I, I'm going to uh, give this a two on practicality. I think we have pretty concrete evidence that we could not implement this in society. And, uh, you know, the dedicated listener will go do some of her own research, but I suspect everyone's going to agree that really we're not going to try this, at least certainly not in the form that Robin Hanson proposes it. Idealism, I actually can't score it very highly either. Um, I'll give it a three. So the one thing I can give it credit for is that it... Uh, it is willing to throw its faith in an institution, and that institution is markets. But it throws none of its faith in uh, humans being naturally smart or good. It basically says that humans are dumb and willing to say dumb things. Very willing, at the expense of society. Uh, so that, that doesn't strike me as very idealistic. But for pizzazz, I will give it a 9. I think it is, it is a singing comprehensive end-to-end theory of something that if you were looking at it in a textbook or in an engineering design of how to build a society it looks beautiful but in practice extremely difficult so what did what did i end up that was a two three nine and i think that these varied ratings really illustrate the point that we don't really know what we're talking about but here (laughs) at syntax We're trying to learn and we're trying to gain greater understanding and I hope you'll join us next time as we move towards that goal.